welcome to Quit Your Day Job, or maybe don't quit your day job. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about everything that might have been as you become a rock star. My name's Paul, and I'm here with uh, my friend Mark. Mark, say hi. Hi, Mark. <laughs> say hi. <laughs> Mark and I went to uh, high school together, and then he went to L.A. to become a rock star. And I went to nursing school, so different uh, different approaches for sure. Um, so I, w- I want to start by asking Mark how the weather is in LA right now. Well, I'm in the desert at Joshua Tree, so it's uh, like 98 right now. So it's a little toasty. Uh, usually it's supposed to be getting cool this time of year, but I guess it's indie in the summer for a long time. <laughs> and, and you've lived out there for 30 or 35 years or something and have you ever considered living anywhere else uh yeah yeah um i moved to north carolina for about a year and uh you know you know i guess i did but i didn't because as soon as i moved away from la it's like it's like al pacino it kept pulling me back in I loved it out here, so it's like I keep going, man, I miss the beach, I miss the desert, I love the place, you know, even though it's, you know, kind of kind of, kind of, of a crazy place, but it's like everything I know is here. So Mark and I grew up together, we went to high school together, and I remember uh, sitting in my bedroom and us talking about music and, and Mark playing guitar. Mark was a guitar player long before I was, um, and he's a touch better than, than I am now. Um, but but we'll talk about that. Uh, really, what I wanted to point out here was that in '87, Mark packed up a van with his band and moved to L.A. because he was going to be a rock star. Right, right, Mark? Is that right? Absolutely it. Yeah, we all decided we're going to work all summer. I graduated, you know, in May or June, whenever they graduate from uh, Catholic high school, all boys. Um, and so I worked that summer painting with my brother, saved up dough, and we all chipped in and bought a van and uh, put a bed in the back of it and had space for all our gear. And then we had a little room for us to, you know, hang out in there and took off in September of 87 and drove across the country in like two and a half, three days. Like we just were, let's get there. <laughs> what was it, what, so what was the name of that band? We were called Mariah, and we were around before Mariah Carey because you know we're old. So it wasn't after her when she came out. <laughs> we were at, we like the. It was from like some old poem. Mariah meant like the wind of change or the winds of, of something. So we were like, yeah, that sounds cool. We were like, you know, we we're sixteen years old. We were like, it's gonna be cool. So. So <laughs> did you ever try to become Mariah Carey's backing band since you had the name? Yeah. No. I, uh, heard she's a little tough to work for, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you get in a van. Uh, how many times did you break down on the way to L.A.? We didn't break down once. Wow. We, we lucked out. We went to uh, Pennsylvania and stayed overnight at our singer's cousin's house. Then we drove to St. Louis and took a day to just chill there. We slept in the van. And then we drove straight through from St. Louis. We were like, screw it. We just, let's, we've got to get to L.A. And we pulled into uh, the Sunset Strip on a Saturday night or Friday. It was definitely a hopping night. And our, our big introduction to L.A. is we're driving up the strip and we're beeping the horn. We have our band name written on the side <laughs> of the van. Open up the side door to be like, yeah. And all our toilet paper falls out down the Sunset Strip. 
like, oh boy. We drove over to Laurel Canyon and found a parking spot. We slept there that night. And uh, our bass player's aunt lived out here and uh, she helped us find a place in the next few days. But we basically took turns sleeping in the van for about a week and a half, two weeks till we found a one bedroom apartment for, uh, for the four of us. <laughs> and we rehearsed and lived there. <laughs> So a one so where the gear was set up in the apartment and you just slept and played music. The gear was set up in the bedroom. We rehearsed in the bedroom every day, and uh, we all slept in the living room in our sleeping bags. And I think our singer ended up buying a futon because he was a lead singer. So right. he was like, I can't. That ma- that or- makes sense. <laughs> uh, so, Decline of Western Civilization Part Two is the the classic Sunset Strip movie. So, I guess my first question there is: You roll up uh, to Sunset Strip. Did you see Randy from Odin like immediately? Was he the first person that you saw? I believe that right in front of the whiskey, he was there flyering. Yeah, it had to be him because he's everywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> so did, so uh, from from those guys, you know. We joke about making it or whatever, but, uh, you know, everybody has that dream when they start playing music. That's like the idea. And it's not until you get older or more experienced that you realize there are other ways to do it. And I think, you know, we'll talk about this as the podcast goes on. But certainly when I think about the decline of Western civilization, what strikes me is every person that. Penelope Spears is interviewing says yes you just have to come see me yes we're gonna make it yes and was that your thought too even after you'd been there for a couple of months with a hundred percent without a doubt I mean that's the only way you could be you know and we we played the Roxy we played the whiskey we did the Gizaris the No Bozo jams we played the Troubadour we made sure we hit all the big clubs where we would be seen because we were sure as soon as somebody sees us, we're going to get a big deal. And, you know, honestly, I mean, we, looking back and listening back, we, I think we had what it takes. So a lot of stuff sounded familiar of, of our music, you know, but uh, we did love that. We played this Gazzari show. And like, I think it was our third or fourth show and Gene Simmons was there and he was interested in us, you know, so he talked to us that night after everybody left and then he gave us his card and we went to his office one time and he basically said he was, you know, gonna, moving on and I think it was uh, Bite the Bullet or whatever, it's South Game I think they ended up being called, that then he was like really turned on to them because we were playing with them a whole bunch, which is Butch Walker's band at that point oh, okay. in LA. Okay. Um, so, so Gene Simmons yeah. was the first like big star that, that you saw out there? Uh, I think, you know, I'd been... I think I'd seen a few people, you know, like as far as, you know, I was into skateboarding and I was skateboarding up and down Hollywood Boulevard and this limo pulls up and this window rolls down and this guy goes, hey, you want a ride? And it was a little Richard. So, I mean, you know, I said, no thanks. And I, I scurried back to the apartment, riding as fast as I can, and drove by me one more time as I was going up Wilcox to my apartment on Grace and Franklin. And I was a little nervous, but I was like, that's kind of crazy. I think the, you know, the creator of rock and roll just, just hit on me. <laughs> I mean, you could have gone to get some food or have a drink or something, right? At least. Yeah, and it was also like one in the morning on Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we were like, our, our day job was flyering for Scientology. We didn't know what Scientology was. I and mean, we knew it was a kind of a cult. So we knew we didn't want to be involved, but they were paying us. 
pretty decent. Like for, for 1987, I think I was getting like $200 a week to go out from like 10 to 2 and flyer on a street corner downtown. So I would just do it, you know, and I think I, I kept that job for at least like six months until they started trying to like get me to donate my money to Scientology. The, the yeah. building is, the headquarters is right there in Hollywood, right, for Scientology? They have a few. The wow. celebrity center there, the... Everything. It's 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 kind of one of the main hubs. Did you ever go and do the interviews with Scientology where they ask you all the questions? My singer and I decided one day, you know what, let's just go fuck with them, man. Let's just go have fun. So they're like, you know, we're going to tell you why you're depressed and miserable and how you can make it. And we're like, no, man, we're here living in L.A. We're going to make it. Like, we're, <laughs> we don't give a crap. You know, come on, let's do this. And then, of course, you know, we answered every question positive And we were both, like, laughing because we're like, we're just going to be like, super positive, you know, and uh, sure enough, they come out and they're like, you're severely depressed and Scientology, this program right here is the only one that can help you. And if you sign up today, blah, 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 you only have to donate this much money. And everything was about donating money. They expected you to donate up to 70% of your check. Wow. So like, the first few months I was getting paid and then they started like, like, you know, like, like, giving me the, you got to give us money back. You know, you can't just keep this whole check. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> I work for it. So you are, you're in LA, you're young, um, you're, you're playing guitar, you're living in a tiny place with your, with your band and you're working side jobs. When, when did reality start to set in, uh, the reality of this may be harder than, than we think it is? Okay, so Mariah was doing pretty good. Like, we were definitely had a bit of a draw. Um, it wasn't huge, but we had people at our shows, you know. It was like people came to see us. And so we got this South American label that supposedly had tons of money and was looking for American artists. And they were going to start an American label. And they were whining and dining us. And, you know, we really thought, man, it's going to happen. And there was a point where they were like, you know, Next Thursday, we're going to sign a deal with you guys. It's, it, we're going to do it. It's going to be in ink. And we showed up at, at the office, and, like, they basically, like, pulled the rug out from under us, you know? I mean, I had my Jeep picked out. I had my house picked out thinking, we made it, you know? And it was after that, you know? And I think it disheartened the drummer real bad. He kind of, like, started messing around with drugs. And I think the bass player had already left by this point or was in the process of leaving, because it happened pretty quick, and I think our bass player left by March. You know, we, we got there in September, and by March, oh, okay. he was like, here anymore. And I think that was the thing that, like, did him in, was he was like, ah, we were right there, and, you know, since it didn't happen in six months, I'm leaving, you know? So, and so I was like, you know, hey, we got that close, it can happen again. It, it's obviously not an easy thing. There's a million bands out here trying to make it, but look what just happened, you know? So I was felt positive about it, and... Uh, we got a new bass player and just kind of soldiered on for another six or eight months and never had any nibbles after that. I mean, we may have had some, like, some good magazine articles about us and things like that, but didn't have any, like, labels or management really hit us up. And I think that just the singer was like, nope, that's it. He's actually a cowboy now. So <laughs> go a figure. A cowboy? Like like a rodeo cowboy? No, I th you know, he's got farms out in Vegas, and he's real successful, I think, you wow. know, and, like, he hat line and like you know he's got the handlebar mustache the hat and you know full-on like cowboy which southington connecticut to a cowboy is kind of a pretty wild like yeah. turn of events but i mean he seems like he's doing great i'm real happy for him you know 
so how long did Mariah last? So what was the what was the lifespan once you got out to LA? LA, maybe a year and a half, two years, probably two years. Okay. And then, and then what did what did you decide to do? Okay, the band is over. Then then what do you what do you do next? Because you're a guitar player and you're good and you want to do something. Yeah, I, I decided. Uh, the bass player and I decided let's get let's you know we'll, we'll roommate together because everybody else was bailing. The singer was leaving town. He had a girlfriend, so he was moving away with her. The drummer, like I said, was getting into drugs and acting kind of crazy. So the bass player and I were like, let's just get our own place. So we got this cool like one and a half bedroom that had like a den. So he put up like a partition and he gave me the bedroom and I paid like an extra fifty bucks and. Um, I started going up to the strip by myself all the time and meeting people, and I started, uh, I met these guys in this band called The Wild, which was like a really cool band. They, they were originally called The Antimimes, and they were from the Bay Area, and they had this singer named Jimbo, and they played like funky, bluesy rock. They had a harp player and a sax player, and they were totally different than like the rock scene up there. And uh, so from The Mimes, The, uh, uh, the Wild, and the Mines, those two bands, I, I was friends with both of them, and they played together all the time. And so they both had these security guard guys um, that would rap. These guys were, like, affiliated with NWA, and one of them was in the NFL. He was uh, got drafted by the Raiders, and they were two yeah. they were huge. And so uh, so I was playing at, the, at this point with a band called the Wright Brothers with some friends that were associated with those bands, too. So basically, Doc's House Mob was kind of the next band I got into. I played in the Red Brothers for about six or eight months, but everybody was doing drugs in that band, and it just I could tell it wasn't going anywhere. We had interest right away, too. We had Imago, which was Henry Rollins, the label he was on. They came out and saw us, brought us to their office, but I could tell, like, from the drugs, we ended up kicking out the drummer, and it was only, like, six or eight months in, and we got this drummer who was, like, a drug buddy of the two of them. So anyways, I played, we did a show with Doc's House Mob, and Doc came up to me and goes, hey man, our guitar player's moving back to Chicago, you want to be in the band? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I started playing with them, and that ended up being guys from The Wild and guys from The Aunt Mimes, and it was like the bass player and drummer and singer Jimbo, who I greatly respected, and Jimbo kind of took me under his wing and said like, buy all these cassettes, listen to all this music, we're going to get together like five nights a week and you and I are just going to jam and I'm going to teach you how to be a funk guitar player because you play blues good but funk is a little different and so I got into that band and we ended up playing huge places we did like we opened for uh, LL Cool J we opened for Two Unlimited which was a big dance band back in like 90, 91 um, we opened up for Jesus a lot of people we played Prince's Club a bunch we played at the Quad at USC for Spring Break there was like 10,000 kids there we had some crazy shows and from all that and the buzz, we got on to Dick Clark's Battle of the Bands, which was on ABC, and it was like a, a big deal. It was a bunch of local bands, and we won that. We won a record deal with Mercury Records, so that was kind of like my first, okay, you know, like it's been a struggle for, it was probably 40 years. So this, and this is probably the video that I've seen then, right? There's a video of you uh, playing guitar, and there's a bunch of like rapping and dancing and stuff happening. So that is that from the Dick Clark thing? The Dick Clark Battle of the Bands, yep. Hosted right. by Holly and uh, some guy who was an MTV DJ. I can't think of his name. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try to find that and I'll link it to the podcast so everyone can see Mark uh, back in the very early '90s. 
Yep. <laughs> uh, was your hair always, did you ever have it curly back then or was it always straight? Curly at that show, yeah. Okay. It was like down here, it was almost to my waist and it was just like, yeah. <laughs> so I am, just as an aside here, I am proud to say that Mark and I, for not young guys, we still have uh, heads of hair, which uh, which is, you know, when, when you're, Mark's uh, crossing his fingers, when you're when you're an, a guy of a certain age and you're playing in bands and you're wearing a hat on stage, I find that suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> and if they don't move their head a lot, they just make sure the head stays still with yeah. the hat. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Um, okay, wh going back to the beginning here, I have two more questions and then I think we'll end this this episode, but... Uh, one is, what's the longest period of time you went without having a day job? Oh, um, probably like 20 years, 15 or 20 years. Wow, really? Yeah. That's a long time to make your living solely from, from music. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of work. It was definitely like a hustle and, you know getting one or two big things a year really made a difference, you know, and getting royalties and things like that. And then tons of lessons, you know, Guitar Hero definitely helped me quit day jobs because I had so many people who wanted to play guitar okay. that it was, uh, yeah, it was about 2002 is when I, yeah, it was a year after 9-11 is when I quit my last day job, you know, and I went through periods where I didn't work for, you know, a year or two in the 90s where, I was off on the road with Bang Tango and making, a, a, um, getting a weekly salary from them, so I didn't need to do a day job thing. Um, and Sam Ash was my last day job until 2002. So Mark gives lessons over Skype. I uh, I take lessons from him. That's how we reconnected after 30 years of, of not seeing or, or hearing from each other, uh, uh, the magic of the internet, and then uh, I said you know i'm a punk rock guitar player but i'd like to be more than that and and mark said well i can teach you how to be a better guitar player and uh and he has i think uh so uh if, you, if you're interested in lessons i'll also put the link down here so you can contact mark and, and take lessons i you know i think it's very worthwhile uh, and before we go today i want to hear the guns and roses story mark oh okay so that was actually the impetus for me moving to la I came with the drummer. He was a senior and I was a sophomore. And my mom, or no, I was actually a junior, I'm sorry, because it was like 85, right right into 86, somewhere, I think it was around my birthday in 86. Um, and my mom said, yeah, you, you can go out there with him. So we went out and she actually, the, we flew into LA and she put it, she was like, she wanted us to have some place to go, but I knew like from what I had read, Sunset Boulevard had a lot of hotels by the strip, so we'd be fine. And I just wanted to kind of wing it. But my mom was like, I want you to have some place to stay at night. She put us in like this downtown hotel. She didn't know, and I still to this day never told her. But she put us in like this CD kind of downtown motel, and we we're like, whoa. <laughs> now a highbrow motel downtown is the Figueroa. But it was like back in 86, it was kind of rough. So, anyways, we, um, excuse me, we rented a car and we basically said every night we're going to go see bands. And that's all we did. And we ended up seeing. Uh, Love Hate, uh, Kill for Thrills, we saw Warrant, we saw this band called Tiger, and GNR. And so we end up going to um, uh, the Grill, Sunset Grill. Don Henley's song made it famous because we were like, oh, we tried to hit you know famous spots. 
And so the la it was actually our last day we decided to go there. And as we're walking up, I'm like, dude, that looks like Steven Adler. And he's like, that looks like Duff. And I'm like, I think it is. And I'm like, I wonder if Slash and Izzy are here. And sure enough, as we get into the restaurant, there's Slash and Izzy. And so we trip out. We're like, oh, my God, they're... Appetite just got released, and you know we thought "Welcome to the Jungle" was like the coolest song ever. You know we were like, man, that song, this album is rocking. There was no "Sweet Child of Mine" even close to being released yet. I mean, this was like we got the album right away because we'd heard about it on like Headbangers Ball or something. We were like right enamored with them. So we decided to talk to him, and we talked to Duff, and he's super cool. And he's like, you should move out here. I moved here from Seattle. And it's like, you know, everything's happening now, you know, <clears throat> labels are signing everybody, definitely move here. And uh, I ended up talking to Slash for a little bit, he was super cool, and then at one point he bumps a quarter from me, because Axel never showed up for the photo shoot. And there's actually, I've seen the pictures online of, of GNR at Sunset Grill, and no Axel, you know, and Slash was like, yeah, man, he's Blake, and he ain't coming, he's not even answering the phone. And we hung out, and that, I think it was Mark Weiss or Nails Lazauer took a bunch of pictures of them, and... My drummer and I sat there just tripping out. We're like, this is a sign. This means we have to move here now. Like, we just met these guys who are making it right now. You know, they got, they're probably millionaires already, man. They probably all got mansions because they just released a record <laughs> that, that has, you know, no hits or anything, but they got to be huge. <laughs> that's that's cool. And then years, years and years and years later, you actually told Slash how to play a song, right, at a, at a benefit show. Actually, a couple, yeah. <laughs> uh, playing with his, uh, uh, whatever, Snake Pit or whatever, the Miles Kennedy slash band that he had. He was on the road with that, actually. And he had just come to rehearsal from, like, their tour, basically. So, yeah, we had a bunch of songs where he was like, how do you play that part, man? He's like, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to get it down. But since we're here, why don't you show me how to go? So it wasn't like he was not be able to figure it out or play it. I just happened to be there. And he asked me what scale to use during whipping post, which I thought was cool, you know? Because he was like, I, I know the minor scale. He's like, but I feel like there's another scale. And I'm like, this one. He's like, got it. I got it. And then he just tore it up. <laughs> so did he remember you at all? Did you talk about that? Nah, I never did. We talked gear a lot. We talked, you know, we talked shit about, you know, the songs and people who were on stage and stuff like that because Richie Sambora was up there. So, well, I didn't understand that one. <laughs> who, who honestly was the nicest guy. He actually kind of made my night because he was so cool, but... Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. I mean, we have a, a ton of uh, stories to, to get through here. I think we have plenty of material for a podcast. <clears throat> uh you you in some senses live the dream you know for, for sure you've you met a lot of people and you get to play music um as your job and teach old punk rock guys like me how to how to play better so there's a lot to be said for what you're doing so thanks it's been it's been great teaching you and this is actually really fun you know and i didn't think there'd be much to talk about but then the, you ask the questions and it's like oh my god i can't shut up <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we'll uh, we'll talk to everyone next time. Thanks, Mark, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye.